Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for uh, your many blessings, Father. And um, God, I do ask that you would move today in, in powerful ways to the people here that need it. God, I pray you would open eyes to the needs of people. Sometimes, Lord, we go so long being hopeless and so long feeling like a situation or addiction or trait or feeling is permanent that we just live in that and we forget that there's freedom. So I just pray you move in that, Lord. Forgive me of my sins, God. Uh, forgive me for the things I do that get in the way of me, um, man, following you. And God, I pray that for everyone out here too. Uh, Lord, forgive us for taking our eyes off you at times. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. That, Lord, we don't even, that we can trust you so much that it's already done, but we ask for ourselves because we need that. Uh, and I just, uh, Lord, help me to preach your word and only your word. And I wouldn't get in the way. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. How are you guys doing today? Good. Do me a favor. I haven't done this in a while. Close your eyes. Put your head down. <sighs> now, please, let's do the thing where you don't pretend, because I'm going to have to call you out, all right, because I'll, I'll do it, because some of you are just rebels, all right? So, and this is, like, this is serious for a second. Who here, raise your hand if in the last few months, and it might, it might not be you, but you feel um, trapped. Could be a situation, could be an emotion, a feeling. Yeah, okay. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you felt sad, pressed down. Yeah, yeah. Heads down, I see you. <laughs> uh, raise your uh, hands if you feel, um, you felt hopeless. Yeah, okay, you can put your hands down. All right, you can look up now. You rebels, I knew I'd catch a couple. <clears throat> Listen, I want to talk, before I even get into this, I was just thinking back there before I was, while I was, uh, worshiping. It's not in my notes or anything. Um, you know, if you're a Christian in the room, and I got some flack this week, which I appreciate the question. It was very respectful about my feelings towards long-term Christians. I use that term a lot. Listen, I love you. Be honest with you, I'm not really a new Christian anymore, so I should probably stop saying that, but I still feel like it. I love you long-term Christians. Appreciate you. You're, a, you're saints, but uh, I guess I'm going to still push you. I'm going to still come at you I'm gonna, because uh, we need that. But Another aside to the aside. So I was thinking, if you're a Christian in the room, and even if you're not, it's really easy to fall into, and it's something we've kind of been talking about a lot lately, and the more so as we're going to be in this, this series about the red letters, the words of Jesus, his literal words. We kind of forget, man, what he does, what he did. Do you know why God sent the Messiah? Now you're all going to go, he sent the Messiah to save us of our sins, and that's true. That's true. But the gist of it, I want, I want to read to you what Jesus said <clears throat> right after he was tempted in the desert. He came back to um, Nazareth, his hometown. He went to the synagogue and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the, oppre set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Think about that a lot, and that he still does that. Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, that's what he came to do. He came to free you. Do you think that's a one-time thing? That, hey, you're saved of your sins and it's over? That's not what he did to the, the apostles. That's not what he did to the disciples. He's alive. You serve a living God. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not blind to what you're going through. He's real, and he moves, and I say that from, from personal experience. You know, if you've been here for a while, man, the last couple of years have been rough for me in a weird way, not even circumstantially, 
I just can't get out of this funk sometimes. And what I've noticed, and of course I say this to you, the humanness is like, Todd, don't say anything good because then everything crashes. Anyone else ever feel like that? Yeah, very unhealthy way to live. Uh, but what I've noticed is the more I've sought him in the last few weeks, the more I've spent time with Jesus, the word's living, right? We talked about that last week. And I mean this. I want to bring you encouragement. I, during the time I'm doing it, when I'm reading the word, when I'm praying, I didn't feel anything. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel better. Right? I didn't feel awesome. I didn't feel even encouraged sometimes. But here's the thing I did. I kept going. Typically, I don't. I kind of got stubborn this time. And I kept going. And here's the thing. Somehow, in some way, the last couple of days, and Lord, <laughs> this is not me being arrogant. Um, guess what? I've started to feel more free. I've started to see Jesus again. I mean that. To see Jesus through the junk. And when you see Jesus, all the other stuff becomes small. And I start getting, from if you're here a long time, you know I'm kind of an Eeyore kind of guy. Some of y'all Eeyores too. You don't even have to pretend I can look at your Eeyore faces, right? And I start feeling a little tiggerish, you know? I start feeling a little more uh, happy because, man, I think that's the thing for me, man. I think for me it's important for me, and, and this will come up today, man, you can know everything in the Bible. You can know every single word of it and miss him. It's crazy. I was listening this week. None of this is in my notes. So if it seems all over the place, yeah, Holy Spirit. But I was listening this week and had this kind of weird encouragement. I'm very much into apologetics. Apologetics is simply arguing to prove that God is real and right. I like to say arguing because that's just that's one, one thing I do. <clears throat> it makes me feel better about it. And there is, listen to this, did you know there is a professor of New Testament who's an atheist? Let that sink in. He's an expert on the New Testament. An expert. It's a true story. You can look him up. Pretty famous. I'd heard of him before. He's an expert on the New Testament, teaches at a secular college, and he's an atheist. Just a historical book, right? Now, here's my point. Here's the positive from it. Why I'm even bringing this up. Two things. One is that he came out this week, and I appreciate atheists like this. So if you're in the room and you're one of these people where you're at least open, I think you're intelligent. If you're not, hey, come up with your own word. <clears throat> right? But he said, he goes, there is absolutely historical proof of the resurrection. Isn't that wild? He, think about that, the fact that he intellectually can say, I know there's proof for the resurrection, and yet I still don't believe, right? I don't choose. But point of saying that he's an expert and he still doesn't know Jesus and I'm not I'm not saying that's us I'm saying sometimes this is going to sound crazy is it possible that we elevate knowledge of the Bible worship you should know the Bible above him right that's what religion is now before everyone out here and you little soundbite people outline the Bible's important it's the word of God it's everything but you can worship the book Right? And miss the Savior. And it's good news. It's very good news. And if you're not feeling good news, here's what I encourage you to do today. I'm not going to lie to you. Remember what I told you earlier. I, and I'm not saying this is going to last tomorrow. I feel a lot more hopeful because if you put your head down, right, up just enough to see him, even if it's just his feet, right, his legs, and you follow him, he always leads you to freedom. Right? He binds the brokenhearted. Some of you are like, you're also you're so negative and down and eeyore, she can't even hear that. I'm going to say it again. He still binds the brokenhearted. He still sets the captives free. Do you believe that? 
right? Are you willing to believe that? Because let me tell you something. This is a little side note, maybe sermon than sermon. Belief is not a feeling. Belief is a choice. Will you choose to believe him even if you don't feel it? That's faith. Anybody can have faith in the floor right here if I see it. I'll step because I see it. Oh, I feel it. It's a whole different thing to walk a certain way and do certain things when you don't feel it. And that's why he prepared us. He told us. This is how, right? That's what faith is. Will you trust me? That's hard. Anyway, be encouraged, man. He's out there. He's good. <clears throat> oh, man, look at Eli. He, he's just, oh, man, Tim, look, at he, he bent, the, he found a way around the rules. He's in, oh, I'm going to get you after. Anyway, <laughs> I'm allowed to. <clears throat> hey, man, you put it right in my face. I'm going to say something. So, um, and then Jill's like, I'll kill you. No, anyway, <laughs> that's his mother. Let me ask you guys a question. More, who likes to put sugar in their coffee? And this includes creamer because it's sugary. Well, I use non-sugared creamer. It's still sweet tasting. Who puts sugar in their coffee? Right? Put your hands down. Who drinks their coffee black every single time? Nice. Me too. When I, well, not every time, but a lot of times if I drink it. All right. One more time. Sugar in the coffee? Creamer? Mmm. All right. That's tasty, right? All right, how about this? And I'm serious. It's going to sound ridiculous, but I want to know. How many people like salt in their coffee? <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's nasty. All right, so stick, stick with me. Who is a person, Jack, I'm looking at you, man, is the leader of this one. Who likes to put extra salt on their fries? Don't, don't, I was about to say, if Jack's the only one raising her hand, you're fibbing. Raise it high and proud. All right, put your hand down. If you're the one embarrassed to say you put salt in your fries, raise your hand. Ah, I got two people. Yeah, you put extra salt. Aha, uh-huh, caught you. Yeah, who likes to put sugar on their fries? Ew. <laughs> yeah. Do you really? That's one of the guys, he's lying. See, man, come on, tell the truth one way or the other. <laughs> he was the same guy that's like, listen, I'm afraid to admit I put salt on. Do you put sugar? Kind of. Do you? No. <laughs> I like it. All right. Salt, here's the deal. Why not? Ooh, I think you're getting a brownie point. You're not. Here's the thing. Who likes to, here's the thing. Because, and I know this is going to sound silly, if I put a bowl right here up front filled with sugar, filled with salt, are you going to be able to tell the difference? Some of you are like, I'm an expert on it. Yes, I could. I don't think you could, right? Or maybe you can. I'll pull it back, right? Is there a time and a place that salt and sugar look pretty similar? Yeah, right? You ever pull that trick on your friends? I did, right? <laughs> Yesterday. Anyway, uh, yeah, salt and sugar, they look the same, but they're very different. Even from far away, sometimes, and I've, people have done this. We've all done it. You're at a restaurant. You grab something. Maybe you're at a place where they, they put salt and sugar because they have coffee, breakfast place, and you put the wrong thing in, and you're like, this is disgusting. I've ruined my coffee with salt in it, right? Thank you. At least someone's admitting this happens. <clears throat> yeah, you don't know until you taste it. You really don't sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one. Siri, what would you say? Uh, <laughs> uh, who likes, so stay with me, this will all connect. Who likes, and I, this is getting a little more serious, and, and I, all jokesters, please don't be a jokester right now. I want you to be serious for a second. You can be joke, jokey in a second. Who likes phony and fake people? Who trusts phony and fake people? Who doesn't like phony or fake people? Yeah. Who doesn't care? <laughs> oh, man. I get it. Uh, why not? Well, here's the thing. We don't, for the most part, like phony or fake people. We can't trust them. You can't trust phony or fake people. Our culture is all about, like, you know, 
I thought I was unique when we started Real Talk. No one in the world's ever used the term Real Talk on a show. There's 75,000 shows out there that say Real Talk, right? They, that, because their goal is to say, hey, here's a place where you're going to get straightforward, real, truthful conversation. You can trust it. Phony and fake people, we can't trust them. We don't know who they really are. And the fact that they can act the part for a while makes it worse, doesn't it? In fact, they're almost worse in our minds than the people who are just straight up a jerk, let's say, right? You ever met those, like, phony, nice people that are jerks? You know what I'm talking about. And you just want to hit them, but you shouldn't because it's fleshly, right? They're the ones that kind of smile at you, but you're like, you are such a jerk. Yeah. No, I'm the only one. All right. We don't know what to expect from them. Because deep down we know it's, it's possible to act one way outwardly and be something else inside. We know that we have the ability as people to act one way, but in our hearts to feel and seem different. Right? How do we know if something or someone is the real deal or if they're just camouflaged, if they're fake or they're phony? Eventually, time or situations are going to reveal the quality of their or its makeup. Say that again. I'll come get you, Jericho, Christopher. I'm on it today. I'll call it every middle school in the world. Get them out of here, Blake. Put them in jail. Whatever needs to happen, all right? <clears throat> Let me give another example, okay? So I'm going to say that again. Eventually, time or situations are going to reveal the quality of a fake or a phony, of a counterfeit. It's going to happen. You might even get away from it for a while, right? You remember every now and then, every few years, we have these like swath or like a bunch of, of counterfeit 20s or 100s going around, right? And then all the stores around here cracked down for a while because they're paranoid because they fell for it, didn't they? They fell for it until eventually some test reveals that it's counterfeit. It is inevitable. So let me give you another example and stay with me. If I wore a white coat, owned a medical textbook, had a scalpel, would you let me perform open-heart surgery? No. Would you, would you even really feel comfortable with me giving you stitches? You shouldn't. If you're a person that's like, maybe, or I don't care, you should not. Right? No, of course not. What if I could talk to talk? I read, listen, I read a lot. I, would, I might sit down and, and have a good memory. That's one thing I do. I could memorize the terms. But it's still me. You know me. All right, what if I type out, graduated from Vanderbilt Medical School? I don't even know if they have one, but... Sounds fancy, right? So it might fool some people, people that don't know me, but eventually the proof's going to be in the pudding. When you got a jacked up scar or you're dead because I don't know what I'm doing with a heart, right, we're going to find out. Of course you're not going to trust someone. What if I said I was a medical doctor? What about this? Let's flip it. What about a doctor? And this is, stay with me. You're trying to guess where I go. When you do that, you'll never know because I don't make any sense until the end. What about a doctor who came in? Now, this is a doctor. You're in there, right? Your, your loved one's about to have surgery. It could be anything. It could be minor. It could be a dentist. Wisdom teeth. And the doctor comes in straight from a basketball game. They got their shorts on. They got scrapes, dirty hands. They're bleeding. And they just hop up. Jill, you probably see this at the hospital a lot, right? And they come up, and they get their scalpel out, and their shorts, and they're cut off, and their dirty, bloody hands with snot on it, and they just start cutting. Does that make you comfortable? Maybe. Come on, people, right? Does it make you comfortable? No, the answer is no. Todd, these are ridiculous. Stay with me. What if he said the basketball team that he played with was, on out, was outside? What if he said the hospital's filled with NBA players today? He was just fitting in with the team. 
This is how everybody's dressing. This is how everybody does this. Would that make you more comfortable? No. Everyone at the other hospital does it this way. What if he says that? Hey, you know what? I was in, uh, I saw a, a, a military field doctor out, you know, in, in the trenches. And this is how he performs surgery. So we should always do it that way. No, of course not. Would it make a difference if everyone at the other hospital or every other hospital around, but you know what you know, walks around with nasty hands, dirty hands, blood, would you want the doctor you have to follow suit? No, of course you wouldn't. Of course not, because we don't care what the crowd is doing when there's an obvious right and wrong way. You hear me? We don't care. You don't care if every other doctor in the world, you might be like, well, whatever, until it's your turn to have surgery performed. Then all of a sudden, it, 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 you care a little bit more. Come back to that. I'll tell you another crazy fact. You're not going to believe this, Chase, when it makes zero sense what I'm saying right now. <clears throat> right now. Did you guys know, have you guys ever seen a few years ago the Michael Jackson hologram? They did a, uh, no? Okay, this will kind of... Uh, Blow some of your minds. And I saw Whitney Houston did the same thing. I saw Christina Aguilera recently singing a song, and they're like, wait for Whitney. And I'm like, oh, this must be an old woman. I was like, Christina kind of still looks pretty old here, like herself, you know, not teenager. And all of a sudden, she goes, Whitney Houston, and it opens up. And I, for a second, I'm like, Whitney Houston's alive. This has all been a lie, right? It's a hologram. They now have the technology to create holograms. Then here's the creepy thing, to interact with the real singer. Did you know that? They will look at them, they'll walk, you can Google this later, don't do it now, right? Walk around, and they'll interact, and they sound like them, the, the, it matches. I mean, guys, I'm telling you the truth. If I put it up here, just the clip of her singing, you would believe, that's when Houston, people pay money to go to concerts performed by this hologram, by Michael Jackson, right? That's, and right or wrong doesn't matter right now for that, okay? I don't care, it's entertainment, although it's a little creepy, isn't it? It's a little macabre. <clears throat> Recently... This was a couple years ago. They were going to make a movie. You ready for this? With James Dean. A new movie. You guys know who James Dean is? Right? Handsome guy, Indiana. Died pretty young. You're like, Todd, how's that going to be? No, he's not a zombie. They were going to use technology, which they can use, AI technology, and have this thing mimic his voice, CGI interact, they, and they got the, the rights from the family. Right? They were going to do this, and then, of course, everybody threw a weird fit. Actors in Hollywood, everyone's like, this is weird. You know, would he want this? this? This is wrong. All these things. This was a real deal. You can Google this too. Why? If you went and saw this movie, right? They were even talking about would it be possible for this AI hologram CGI person to win an Oscar? If he won an Oscar, would he be real? These holograms, this person, they would have looked the same. They would have sounded the same. But here's a question I have for you. Do you think Michael Jackson's kids, Whitney Houston's family, do you think their family would be just as happy as they sat there and watched that concert as they would be if their family, if, if their father or their mother, sister, brother was still alive? It looks the same, sounds the same. Imagine that. Imagine being their family. Of course not. There would be no substance. Even if, let me ask you this, thousands of fans were happy and smiling and even paid money to attend, would that satisfy the family? Millions of people probably saw this video 
And everybody's clapping, and it's a beautiful moment. Christina's like, yeah, this is cool, and we're interacting. But guess what? Her family members go home, and they're still, it's not real. It wouldn't convince their loved ones they were alive. Would it convince their loved ones that they're alive? Of course not. Why? Listen to me real quick. Pay attention if you're zoned out. We know innately inside that appearances don't equate to the reality or the quality of something. I'm going to say that again. Appearances, sound, look, where it's at, whether it's in the crowd, does not actually equate. It does not mean that something is real, that something's high quality. That's why there's a whole black market for counterfeit, right? Hey, we'll sell this fancy-looking stuff. Why doesn't it actually cut? It might look exactly like Louis Vuitton. Is that right? Nice. Thank you. You jumped real fast on that. Yeah, Louis Vuitton bag, right? You go buy it. It looks the part, but why are you embarrassed if someone finds out it's counterfeit? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that doesn't make it Louis Vuitton. I keep saying, hopefully saying it right. Stay with me. Let me ask you this. Now we're going to shift to World War II. Todd, what are you doing? Where are you going? We'll see. World War II, I'm always fascinated by this, and people have done studies on this. Do you believe every German, Hitler's, every German hated Jews and wanted to kill them? If you do, you're crazy. They didn't. Now, sometimes we think that. They didn't. That's a fact. There were a lot of people out there in that country that did not have a problem, did not want to, didn't necessarily want to kill Jews, right? They did not want to, <clears throat> to do that. Yet, the entire country ran along with it. They did. Why? Because, well, over time, this culture had been shifted to where it's like, well, everyone's doing it, even though they weren't. People are going to show up at your door, et cetera, et cetera. So listen, most of the country agreed with Hitler, at least outwardly. Christopher, Jericho, last time, homies. All right? For real. When you're distracting people up front, me, that's a problem. I don't like doing this. Okay? All right, moving on. Most of the country seemed to agree with Hitler. That didn't make it right. The answer is, did it make it right? The answer is, of course not. Of course not. If everyone in this room right now decides it's appropriate to kill babies, I'm not going to jump on board and say it must be okay. Why? Because we know that the crowd or the popularity of a thought or belief doesn't make something good and it doesn't make something right. But everyone in here says, not me, wouldn't be me. Everyone says, if that happened in America, it wouldn't be me. I wouldn't go with the crowd. Don't you? All of this stuff has to do with this simple thought. Jesus has a lot to say about the idea of looking the part versus being the part. He has a lot to say about right and wrong. And how, right, might doesn't equal right. The amount of people going a certain way doesn't mean the direction's right. And just because something looks the part doesn't mean it's genuine. And every Christian, we all say we get this. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, we kind of think that, that Jesus, that God, right, the Father judges us like a, an ant farm, right? It's kind of like, these are good ants, these are bad ants, we throw them away, he doesn't. It's irrelevant if all the other ants 
are doing bad things. See, some of you out here have this issue. When someone comes up to you and they confront you or they criticize you, what you do, and you don't need to raise your hand, but admit it to yourself, the first thing you say is, well, so-and-so does it too. Everyone's doing it. Right? Everyone's doing it. Because why? Well, hey, if the crowd's doing it, it's okay if I do it. That's why. Do you want to, you know, guys, men, it's a tough time to, to men and women too, though. Uh, and this is, I'm, you know, I'm, this is not a necessarily politically correct thing to talk about, but let's talk about pornography momentarily, the battle against that, right? And this isn't a shame thing. But men, a lot of times we want to talk about the battle against it. It's hard. It's everywhere, right? Sex is cells. Ladies, you too, a lot of you are shamed because only guys do that. That's a lie. We all know that. But here's the thing. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So here's what's weird. Even though we still know it's bad, what we've done in Christian culture is because every man struggles. Like they've taken the idea of this book called Every Young Man's Battle. Great book. Every Man's Battle. And they've used it as an excuse. Well, everyone struggles with it, so it's okay. It's just something we all have to carry. Is that true? It can't be true. But you live like that, and don't say you don't, because we all do. We can live like, well, it's just human. I'm human. How many times do you think, man, I'm just human? And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, but a lot of times that becomes an excuse. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And we're going to start at verse 33. Don't put it up yet. <laughs> I know, it's, I forgot. Grant's on. He's a pro. 33, and we're going to go through 37 if you're using it on your phone or some other electronic device. And I'm going to be reading from the CSB. <clears throat> so at this point, they've begun to travel around Jesus and his disciples, and they're healing. He's doing stuff. It's, it's been happening. And this, we're going to pick up the story here. It says, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he, who's he, do you think? Jesus, yeah. He asked them, what are you arguing about on the way? They were arguing. But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, the twelve being the apostles, the closest friends, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me, the Father. A lot of times we kind of go, we think we know what that means, we move on. Let that sink in. Remember, we're reading the words of Jesus as though he's just saying it to us. Who's the best? Which one of us is the best I'm the best because I'm Peter, right? He said, I'm the rock. Oh, we're the best. We're the sons of thunder. They're arguing. We're the best. And instead of telling them who's the best, instead of even talking about it, he just says this. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And then took a child. How often do you see in a boardroom with executives, CEO, you think, uh, is, it, is his name Steve Jobs, right? Bezos, who I was thinking of, so completely different. Let's say, you think Bezos, when he was running Amazon, just every now and then brought in a three-year-old and just sat at the board table and was like, hey, everyone, and, and talk to them. Why not? Are, are children invited to the big meetings, the important meetings? You guys are like, I don't know. No, they're not. You're not going to take them to work unless it's a special day to do so. My point in saying this, there's a purpose for him bringing a kid. It's not just about children, though. There's a lesson in there. Unless you welcome one of these people that you don't think is important, how do we know that? Well, later on, same book, 
Children were, people were bringing the children to him, and the disciples were saying, he's got more important things to do. Get in the back. And Jesus said, stop. Let the children come to me. The kingdom belongs to such as these. What does that tell us? Not even about Jesus. What they thought, what the culture thought about the value and importance of children. By the way, you still say the same thing. You still do the same thing. Don't speak unless spoken to, right? That whole idea. So what he was saying was making a point here of, on top of that, first will be last, last will be first, I'm going to shock some people. Unless you welcome one of these children, right? If you welcome one like this in my name, you welcome me. Not kings, not Caesars, not rabbis, not religious leaders. If you welcome a child, a little child, such as this in my name, if you welcome him like he's one of mine, like he's holy and chosen, if you give him honor, him or her honor, if you do that, you don't just welcome me, right? you welcome me, you don't just welcome me, you welcome me, you sent me. What is the point of all this? So remember, they're arguing, they're saying, who's first, who's the best? By the way, I can't believe those silly people, please. Everybody in this room, a lot, I shouldn't say that, a lot of you in this room want to be the best at something. Men, we're, we're notorious about this. We got that man pride. We never want to feel less than someone. It doesn't matter the situation, right? That's why you don't ask, you know, I'm not speaking, this happened to numerous people, so it's not to, I always have to say I'm not talking to a person because the Holy Spirit convicts someone, and you're like, he's talking to me, what a jerk. I'm really not. I don't even, like, I'm not that great that I can remember your story in the middle of it. But that's why, like, if we have a good friend, you have a good friend that knows a lot about cars, you'll go and bumble it up yourself for six hours before you'll ever ask him to help you. I don't need him, I'm a man, right? And then some of you all get a lot, a lot of pride in your car work, and it's like, yeah, but you won't ask someone to help you financially. You won't ask someone to teach you how to work out in the gym. So what do you do? You avoid the gym. Just an example, right? Because why? We would do anything to not appear weak, to not appear like we don't know what's going on. That's why we do the whole comparison thing, right? Hey, check my car out. Well, check my car out. Well, I got this and I got that. Like, it's not bad to have those talks, and not every time you have those conversations are they bad, but sometimes, right, guys, the women don't understand this. We know what's happening. Sometimes the women are like, why don't you like him? And you're like, you don't even understand man talk. He's such a jerk. It's like, all he did was tell you about how everything is great. And I was like, that's my point, right? All the guys are going, mm-hmm. The women are like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, of course, we intrinsically know in this world that the richest, the best, the most successful, the smartest, any of the ists, biggest, right, athleticist, that doesn't exist, but you get what I mean, wealthiest, those people are the important people, they're better than us. You don't, and some of you are like, I don't think, yes, you do. You don't want to admit it, and it's okay. Now, here we can talk about human, it's very hard for us not to fall into that system. Because that's what this world values as currency, success, power, money, status. This entire system this world is built on, and Jesus is starting right here to tell us something very important. I need you guys. Remember, we're reading these words from Jesus like we've never heard them. That's hard. You've heard the story so many times, you don't listen. And if you haven't heard the story, lucky you today. Let this sink in. I want to say this, Jesus is starting to try to make a point here, and he does it throughout the New Testament. And we seem like, we act like we know what he's saying all the time. He wants us to love children. Yes, he does want us to love children, but that's not the point here. 
The entire system this world is built on, our society, our culture, is almost completely opposite of the kingdom of God. The values of the kingdom of God do not equate, they do not equal, they're not the same as the, as the world. They're going opposite ways. You're like, well, sometimes, yeah, they cross if it's, if it's important. People will be nice to someone they like. Non-believing husbands will love their wives when their wives are loving them back. Everybody will do something when it's beneficial to them. They will be nice to people when it's beneficial to them, but what will they do when it's not? See, that's why Jesus made these comments all the time, these things that we take for granted. When he says, you say to love your neighbor, I tell you to love your enemy. He's trying to make the point over and over and over that you have to understand that following me is not going to go the same as the world. It's not going to go the same way. You cannot be the same as them. The entire world. Think about it. I'm going to take care of me. And us that have been in the church culture for a while, we'll get to us because we may not say these things, but it doesn't mean we don't live them. But listen to this. I'm going to take care of me. I deserve to be happy. I need some me time. I need to find the right partner. I got to do what it takes to get ahead. The most successful, dominant person in the room is, is the person who has the most people serving them. Think about it. Why is Jeff Bezos important? Why do we know his name? Because he's the richest. He's the head of one of the most, at one point, the most powerful, you know, the biggest companies in the world. So he's more important than us. We know his name, but not the homeless guy behind Walmart. Fame in this world goes hand-in-hand with the S's. Let's go on. Cancel culture. Do you know cancel culture is the antithesis, that means the opposite of the way of God? Do you think God cancels people? And I'm going to tell you this, and this is where I offend some people. All of you are guilty of it. I find myself at times, you know, people will say things, and I'm, kind of, I'm considered bold or a jerk, either way, depends on your viewpoint, right? And I'll see people say things, and I hate this. I've noticed the last couple weeks, my mind will go, oh, boy. Or I'll watch something on TV I used to love, The Office. I still love it. It's not used to. It's hilarious. It's inappropriate at times. Don't watch it. But funny show, but when I watch it sometimes, I'm going to see they say things, and some kind of radar goes off in my head that says, oof. I don't even think it's bad, but I've been trained to think it's bad. Steve Carell said, hey, they're like, hey, do you think you'd ever come back? He's like, there's no way we could run the office right now. We, could, we couldn't do the office in this culture. And that's been, what, 10 years, 12 years? I don't know how long it's been off. Cancel culture? You don't cancel people, right? You don't cancel people, Christians. What about the pastors that fall? Well, they have to be false. That guy had an affair. That guy embezzled money. That guy's a drunk. What a scumbag. Kick him out of the church. Nobody give him attention. He's a wolf. You don't know them. You delight in their fall more than you hope for their restoration. We all do. Self-glorification, cancel, all, it all, it's hand in hand, and it's completely opposite of the way of God. I'm not saying there aren't people that deserve to be canceled, right, in my humanness, but thank God he didn't cancel me and doesn't. Let's go off. We're going to keep going. There's a lot here today, but I'm going to bring it back around. Stay with me. Jump down to verse 43, 10 verses later. We're going 43 through 50. So there's a lot of stuff happening in the midst of this, and Jesus starts talking about, you know, 
If this causes you to sin, do this. If this causes you to sin, do that. And, it, and it's right after. There's one little section in between. He casts out a demon, and then it jumps to this, and you're kind of like, what is going on here? <clears throat> 43 says, and if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. If your feet cause you to fall away, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eyes cause you to fall away, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown in hell. Where the worm, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Oof. Now, this is very, very important because all of you say you understand the salt thing. You know, and, and all the gospels mention it, right? Be the salt of the world. But I want you to remember the context of this sentence. It's very important. Everyone will be salted with fire and then we move on. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Salt. Why does God talk about salt all the time? Why does Jesus talk about salt? The Dead Sea. You guys know the Dead Sea? A lot of salt in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea in this time produced the majority of the salt for the area. The problem was that when they got salt from the Dead Sea, it would always come mixed with a bunch of other minerals. So what you would end up with sometimes, right, depending on the... the uh, I don't know which scoop you got, which minerals you have, you might end up with inferior salt. You might have a batch, right? It all looks the same because there's all these minerals in it. But depending on the amount of salt in it, right, in that scoop, in that is going to show you the quality of the salt, right, of that scoop. Does that make sense? So this is why he brings it up. You got to remember, he's walking along. He's seeing things. He's going to speak to them in ways they understand. You see the salt? Scoop it up, right? What if I take the salt out of this? Is it still salty? Well, no. That's, and that'll help you understand when he says, how, well, how can salt not be salty? What does he mean by that? It's that. If I take all the salt out of this pile, is it going to be salty anymore? No, it's going to be weak. It might be a little salty, but it's going to be weaker than pure salt, right? Jesus wants us to understand something as we continue to build this. So we've already talked about this, the, the system of this world is, is opposite of the kingdom, and that those who are considered great in this world are not necessarily great in the kingdom and will not be. And the people who seem unimportant and small by the world's standards are going to be kings and queens in the kingdom. And then he tells us this, this scary thing. Should you go cut your hand off? No, but, but, if it had to, if it came down to it, would you? Is life following Jesus' holiness enough that you do something crazy? So you're like, okay, I won't cut my hand off. That's fair. Would you stop listening to certain music if you felt convicted? Would you stop watching a certain show if you felt convicted? Right? Would you throw away your smartphone and get a regular old text phone? They still make them, and they're archaic, but they make them because you'd rather do that. You'd rather go without, be different than everyone else, be looked down on because you don't have the latest iPhone if it meant you were going to be holier and like Jesus whole concept of fasting you think it's really about starving yourself what would you do for him not to prove it but what would you do if you focus just on God Jesus wants to understand that following him means to reject the way of the world it means accepting that we will always stand out you can't be like them them is the world you can't and some of you that's your problem in your faith you're trying to play both sides and what he's saying is, is that you're just unsalty salt. 
You're not different. The thing that makes your witness powerful is not different. How can you season what? How can you make salty, salt salty again? How can I pull the salt from this Dead Sea mush to make this one a little more salty? You can't. It's impossible back then, right? They don't have the technology for that. It'd be difficult now. You and I couldn't do it. You don't have a, a sifter, right, thin enough. To follow Jesus means to reject, listen to me, it means rejecting the way of the world, even if, and most importantly, when it has a cost, because it will. It will have a cost. It will have a cost to follow him. And if you have never paid a cost, I would dare to venture that you are not following him. Fact. We were going to stand out and be different. That's what he's trying to get them to say. Stop. Don't be like them. I know the temptation is to be like them. Remember, now let's put it with the first one. If you're like them, you might be first here. But you'll be last in my kingdom. And there's only one eternal kingdom. The moment we are no longer different, this is, gonna, this is a word play, so pay attention. because Some of you are going to be like, he's dumb. I'm not. This is intentional. Well, I am, but this is intentional. The moment we no longer are different is the moment we are no different. The moment that we are no longer different is the moment we are no different. And we, aren't, we don't have any salt. It's a huge reason. This isn't a salvation issue yet, okay? Stay with me on that. So before you, some of you, put that aside for a second. Do you want to know one of the biggest reasons the church has lost its power? It hasn't really. But its influence in our culture, in our world? Because we have justified being less salty for the sake of loving people. We use verses out of context. I'm all things to all people. For Christ. So, hey, I'm right there with him getting drunk because I'm the only light they see. No, Jesus says you're hiding your light in those moments. There are people dying and you're acting like the dead people instead of leading them to life. You're so afraid of being different that you become the same as people who have no hope, who are hurting. That's why they don't listen to you. Why would they? What do you have to offer them? What's different? Hypocrisy? You think they don't know? You think they don't think that? Your gospel, your God has no power because you don't act any different than me when you walk out those doors. Being different is the witness. Being different is the witness. Do you want to know why this small little cult, this religion, by the way, isn't it interesting? Christianity was called a cult at one point, 100% would have been by our definition. Now we just call any church we don't like a cult or a church that tells you to change. What a cult. Or a church that likes to spend time together. Oh, my goodness. They love each other. Cult. This is so angering because I'm like, I'm not rich enough to be a cult leader. 
I lost my train of thought talking about cults. Anyway, how did this religion spread? And this is the crazy thing, because people were willing to die for it. How many of us, and that question has become Christianese, and it's powerful and convicting. Have you ever read Jesus Freaks? There's a book. This was old when I became a Christian, so some of y'all probably never read it. I think DC Talk actually like put it out, but it's really a bunch of stories about martyrs. And every time I read it, man, I'm convicted. There's a story, and I, this is one that's stuck in my mind. And I couldn't tell you the name of the guy, but a Christian was brought out by the Roman centurions. And he's brought out on an ice lake. And they put him on his knees and they said, listen, all you have to do is reject Christ. Say it's not real. And you'll live. Right? Right now. Deny this. Say the emperor is God. Deny this and I will let you stand up and you can go home. He refused. Right before they're about to kill him, the leader, the leader of the company got on his knees next to him. And the Christian says, what are you doing? And he says, if you're willing to die for this, it must be real. And I want to be with your God. Right? The difference is the witness. You know, sometimes we say, I would die for Jesus, but you won't even let your pride die for Jesus. I'm there with you. I got to say that or you get mad. Being different the witness. We're going to move on. And I'm going to let you turn to this and stay with me. There's, this, there's a lot to this today, but I think it's got something for us. The next chapter, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse oh, 28. That's what you got, right? Perfect. Verse 28, going through 30. So before this, we have the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler comes. We all know this story. And he says, yeah. Jesus, he followed the rules. He was a good guy. And Jesus, as he always does, goes, okay, let's get to the heart of it. Perfect. You've done all these things right. Here's what I want you to do. Just go give all your money away to the poor and follow me. And it says the rich man walked away sadly because he had many possessions. So then Jesus looks at his apostles sadly, right, the disciples, and says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean being rich is bad. Stay with me. The problem is in this world, being rich, Bezos, right? Do you think Bezos right now? No offense, man. I probably shouldn't say your name. But some rich, famous people, they don't need God in their mind. They have everything they need, right? They have everything they need. That's his point. But after all this, Peter, the disciples go, well, who can be saved, right? right? Who can be saved? If even the rich people can't, who can be saved? He tells them, with God, anything is possible. Then verse 28, Peter began to then tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Probably Peter being like, hey, we left everything, right? Or maybe he was mad. We've left everything. That guy gets to keep his stuff. We have nothing. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. But many, here we go, this is interesting, I never noticed this, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. He says it again. So they're going, we left everything. And Jesus has a moment, you know, he, he always has compassion, but he says, I know, 
I know everything you've left, but it's going to be worth it. Because what you're going to get is going to be far worth, worth far more than all of these things you're leaving behind. Right? You'll get, I'll take care of you here, but even more so, the important thing is eternity. Here's why it's tough. This whole following Jesus thing. Right? We'll put all this together. We've kind of been building something. Here's why it's tough. Because clearly following the ways of the world gets you rewarded. They get you rewarded. Many times they get you rewarded. You get more money, right? You can get more money being underhanded. You can be more popular playing it safe. You can be more powerful by stepping on other people. You can be more safe by not being in community. You can have a good reputation by being vanilla. You don't have a good reputation, but you don't have a bad one. Following the ways of the world will get you something. I'm not going to lie to you. You want that? You want this? You want everything now? You can have it. But what will you lose? But just because the world and its systems say some people are first and more important, that doesn't mean they're first in the eyes of, the, of God. I love, I bring this up a lot, so if you're new, you know I love C.S. Lewis, and in The Great Divorce, I love it, right? Not everything is perfectly biblical, but he's making a point. In The Great Divorce, anyone ever read that? Just me? Nerdy, go read it, C.S. Lewis, Great Divorce. Read Mere Christianity first. Anyway, Great Divorce, and he's kind of describing as though his mentor kind of, uh, led... He gets to visit heaven. He's being, he's being walked around heaven by this mentor that died before him, right? And he's showing him the world and what it's like and how beautiful it is. And he sees this woman being followed by animals and people, and they're throwing flowers at her. She's so beautiful and has a crown. He goes, oh, my gosh. That lady must have been like a queen, right, on this earth. She had, and he goes, oh, her? Oh, no, her name, I'm going to make this up. You know, her name's Sally. She actually uh, never married, um, was a bread maker, lived on the poor side of town. Nobody knew her name. She died penniless, but she shared her bread with the people next door. She took care of the animals and the orphans. She loved people. So they just didn't see her for what she really was. The earth saw a nobody. God sees a queen. To follow Jesus has a cost in this world, and this is important. To follow him is going to require you to actively choose to be different. I'll say that again. I understand, Todd. No, you don't. A lot of times as Christians, we kind of rely entirely on the sanctification we've, we've gotten to so far. This, this, is, this is kind of maybe a little deep, right? So it's easy for me at this point in my life to say, hey, I follow God because I don't get drunk every night. That comes natural to me now. I don't want to do it, right? And it's biblical not to get drunk, right? Not shaming anyone here, but that it's biblical. Don't be in drunkenness. So it's easy for me to say that because in my sanctification journey, I've hopped over that hurdle. Okay? Doesn't mean it's never a temptation, but I've hopped over that hurdle. So sometimes we'll be like, oh, well, I'm following him. But what happens when I'm called to forgive someone I don't want to forgive? When I'm when I'm supposed to not be bitter. A lot of times we use the excuse of no one is perfect. No one's perfect. I'm decent. I'm better than this guy. I'm doing this, this, and this to justify not actively choosing to follow him in areas that aren't natural. If you're waiting 
to stop being lustful, to stop desiring, if you're anyone, if you're a single guy, let's say, if you're, if you're waiting to stop desiring sex before you fight against lust, you'll be waiting a long time, period. That's a fact. If you think you're going to always feel like running from those things, you're crazy. If you think that you're just going to naturally feel like being generous, if you think you're going to just naturally feel like giving to your church, oh, he said money, right? Right? If you feel, if you think that's going to come natural, you're crazy. That's why Jesus says things like this. You have to crucify your flesh, carry your cross, put to death the flesh. It takes an active process, which means what? Doing it isn't comfortable. I have to like, man, guys, I... trying to think of how to share this with you like an area that I really struggle with is an area of when I have to let go of situations that everything in my flesh want to take charge of so what I mean by this is I was raised a fighter both literally and figuratively I'm very thankful right my family raised me to do that I used to literally fight but I I fight figuratively now and that's good sometimes but there are people Right? And some of you may know this. There are people that have said poor things about me or continue to say so, or they continue to say things to some of you guys, and they do wrong and evil and everything in me. You know what I said one time? I said this to God, and I said this to friends. I said the most frustrating thing is I could beat them. I could beat them. I could crush them. I could because I'm meaner than them. See, what I've learned is mean Christians ain't really mean because they ain't where I'm from. Right? You're a false prophet. Well, you're a piece of, right? Right? That's poop is what I was going to say. But that's my point, right? My point is this. Everybody's covering their face. Listen, I'm just being honest with you. And for you to say you don't, right, that might not be a struggle. It wasn't a cusser, but I could tear them down. I could win. And I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be holier now. It's hard for me. Even to this day, every time I want to just, or for instance, there's a certain organization. I'll just be honest with you. I used to work for and they've distanced themselves from me. They've stolen, I'm just going to be blunt. They've stolen my stuff. They've made a lot of money off of my stuff. And they trash me, and they're a Christian organization, right? They've done this before. They don't trash me openly anymore because things have flipped. I have a whole other story. When they came and apologized to me because they thought they killed this church, and then we got our own building, and then they showed up to say, hey, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure we're good. You didn't care when you kicked us out of your building. Anyway, oops, shouldn't have said that, and I figured it out, right? <clears throat> Here's the thing. I know stuff about them. I worked there six years. And they think, they, so there's this part of me that goes, do you think I don't remember? You think I don't know how you run? You taught me. You taught me how to do this. You taught me how to make money. Everything inside of me sometimes, and some of you close to me know I fail at this at times. I try not to sneer when you bring this place up. But if you ever have and you see a sneer, I'm sorry. That's me killing my flesh. I want to, dis- I want to attack them. Because if I join the world, see, the world will accept me doing that. When Christians attack me, sometimes there's this temptation that, man, if I just went to the woke Christians, if I just went to the left, if I went to the ex-evangelicals, right, if I went to these people and I just sided with them, they would side with me and say, oh, those judgmental, hypocritical Christians, they're evil. It's so tempting to have, an, have a, a, a group to belong to. That's my temptation. But it's not the way of Jesus. Because Jesus said, right, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I have to love my enemies and forgive them. I have to tell people the good they do. I have to focus on that. Because that's true too. I better move here. I'm losing you. 
You have to actively choose to be different. The pursuit of Jesus is going to separate us from the world, and our saltiness is the proof of who we belong to. You like that? Your saltiness? It's play on words. That's not meaning your grumpiness, right? Your saltiness, your difference, the direction you're going that's away from the crowd is the proof of who you're following in that moment. If you look like the crowd, if you don't taste like salt, you're not following him. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it does mean you're not following him right now. It takes actual effort. You can't kind of or accidentally follow Christ. I'm going to say that again. You can't kind of or accidentally follow Jesus. You can't. Some of y'all, that's why some of the kids, I give them a hard time because they're getting to that age, right? They're like, I'm 20 now, Todd. You're not. You're 13, 14, whatever. I get it. And you're like, I understand, and I know, and I'm a Christian because my parents are, and I've been in this church since the beginning. That's a joke. And there's some of you in the room that are adults have felt that. Well, I've been raised in a Christian home. You've never stopped to consider, do you know him? Or do you know who he is because your family knows him? There'll be a lot of people that say, oh, I know Jesus. Yeah, he goes, I didn't know you. A strange thing happens to young people, a lot of you kids in the room, right? I love you dearly. But if you're in the room, that means we believe you're to the age now that you understand things better than you used to. And the fact that you understand what I'm saying now is proof that you're to the point where your decisions count. And whether or not you follow Jesus isn't going to matter anymore of like, well, I'm a little kid. When you understand, you understand. That's a real thing. And the beauty, well, God, would he, why would he send people to hell? That's mean. He doesn't. He gives you what you want. No, God or no God. You have to choose it. But here's the beauty, right? I've told all, because it says this at the beginning. Jesus tells us that this cost will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. You will be. I can't promise it's going to be the the way the world works, right? You can pray every day to be a billionaire like Bezos, but no promises that's going to happen. But do you know why? It's not because God won't give you money. It's because maybe you wouldn't be able to handle that. That's hard, isn't it? Because you're like, I think that all the time. Lord, I can handle it. Come on. Like, I know better than him. Right there, I've proven I can't. Right? In that exact moment. Lord, if you just give me, like, I've said this. I'll just be honest. Here I go confessing everything. I was like, listen, I know me. Because money isn't a huge deal to me. If it was, you'd trust me. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Anyway, money's not a huge deal. I don't like being dead, all that. That's good. But I don't really care. But, so I tell God sometimes, right, in my heart, I'm like, man, if you gave me a million dollars, ten million dollars, I'd be buying this person a house, this person, you know, I'd take care of everything. Would I? I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Or maybe I wouldn't be able to reach certain people anymore. The beauty is Jesus tells us that this cost will be rewarded. Here's the deal. He promises us. He promises. He says it. No, truly I tell you, that's like, take that as like a promise. I promise that the things you're, get, you're losing out on, the things you think matter, I promise you there's nothing you're losing, nothing you're walking away from that you're not going to be given back ten times more. I promise. In our life, if you knew a month from now, if you did the hardest job in the world, the hardest job, I don't even know what it could be, right? Dirty jobs, one of those jobs. The hardest job in the world for one month, and you would get a billion dollars, could you make it? Some of y'all couldn't probably, right? Y'all say you could, and that's why not everyone's a Navy SEAL, because everyone says, I can do it, right? But at the end of the day, maybe you could. Why? Because you know that the promise of what's coming makes what's worthwhile seem not as important, 
I mean, what's happening now, not as important. And Jesus tries to tell us all the time, you've got to stop thinking that this month we're in, which in the scheme of eternity, it's less than a month. That it matters more than eternity. Trust the promises, guys. And here's the thing. I said this earlier about your faith, all this stuff. Trust is shown by actions. You can say you trust him but it's going to be shown by your actions, by, by what you do and don't do, and by who you follow and don't follow. Because here's the deal. The biggest thing I can tell you about trust, and this goes to some of you in relationships, some of you that have been hurt terribly by family and, and marriages and all these other things. The, the thing I have to, and this is hard for me too because I'm not naturally trusting, trust is a choice. The most powerful thing I ever heard about trust was when someone said, and I understood, trust is a gift. You have to gift it to someone. They can never earn it. I'm going to say that again. We say, oh, they earn my trust. They'll never earn it enough. Once they've broken it, you'll never feel fully safe to give it to them. The only way you're going to know whether they're trustworthy is to gift it again. What will you do with this? And it's the same with God. You have to stop waiting to trust that following him is going to lead you to happiness. That's why you're miserable. Because you're like, well, gosh darn it. I don't think you talk like it. Maybe you do. Right? Well, gee, I mean, Christmas. I'm sad because I would feel better and want to do these good things. No, you won't. Paul said that. There's things that you're going to be battling. Faith and trust is a choice. You're going to come up with a million reasons why you don't have to follow him. You're going to come up with a million things. You have to trust by choosing to do so. And the way a Christian chooses to trust is by following, doing what he said to do, not doing what he said to do. And at the end of the day, when life gets hard, when the waves get big, you cling to his promises, even when it makes zero sense. Because I'm going to tell you something, guys. Just because I'm up here preaching doesn't mean I don't have faith, moments of doubt. I do. I'm mad at him sometimes. And then I feel stupid after, right? But I am. Because I'm so frustrated. But I'm here because I'm going to keep trusting. Even if I'm only holding on by a pinky, I'm going to hold on. And the beauty is, even if I let go, he said he won't let go of me. All right, I'm going to jump down again real quick. I'm going to try to go fast, get you out of here, get your tacos, whatever you need. All right, Mark chapter 10. I'm, gonna, I'm building a story here. Stay with me. So once again, we have an issue. Depends on the... Uh, James and John come to Jesus. By the way, those of you who say, well, it says his mother comes to him. Another one, that's a difference. No, it isn't. Right? If I say, if Jill came to me and said, Tim wants to know if he can borrow your car. If I'm telling the story, I'm probably, I might just go, Tim wants to know if he can borrow my car. Right? Is that a lie? No, I'm just, at the end of the day, that's the difference. So I just want to say that because this is one of those sections where like, it's different. They said his mother came and this one said he didn't. No, he's just two different people telling the story. So they come up to him and they say, hey, we have a, we have a favor to ask Jesus. Let, he's like, okay, what is it? <laughs> Imagine being Jesus. Let us be on your right and left hand when you come into power. On your throne, let us have a little throne on the left and the right. Let us, Lord, with you, but below you a little bit. Right? And this is what it says. And then this is what happens. Verse 41, 41 through 45 says, When the ten disciples, the rest of them, heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. That means very angry. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it, among, lord it over them. In our case, you can say uh, rulers of non-believers, okay? And those in high position act as tyrants over them. 
but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we go again. We're having it all wrapped up again. The world says it's this way, right? Lord it over, people stomp on them. You're in charge. Let them know power. The kingdom is different. You want to show, you want to be a true leader? Are you willing to serve? Are you, will you carry weight for people? And then he ends it again, right? Here we go again. Whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. Is that not the same thing? Three times now. You want to be first? It's going to look different than what the world says. And then I want to go back. Okay. I want to go backwards for a second because I want to go back to salt, and then I'll wrap this up to you, the idea of salt. So the idea of salt, the idea of everything being different, the idea of the way that the world views things being different than the way that God sees things. Let me try to apply this now. Is it possible that the way that the American modern popular church views things is not the way of Jesus? Is that possible? We say that, but we got to really be willing to look in the mirror then because how are we contributing to that? The use of salt as a symbol becomes even more interesting in light of what Jesus says to the Pharisees, all right? In Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 6, they actually come up to him. They say, hey, they're trying to catch him all the time. Why are your people eating with these unclean utensils? (laughs) Why are you hanging with sinners? Why are you sitting with prostitutes? Why are you with a tax collector? Why are you eating with dirty plates? They're not really dirty, right? Why aren't you following the rules? Why aren't you wearing a dress in church? Why aren't you, by the way, that's a real thing, okay, some peoples, <clears throat> on and on and on. And then Jesus is usually and typically very gentle, very calm. Listen to what he says here. These are the religious leaders. The Pharisees are religious leaders. I suppose I should tell you that. They're the good people. That's who the church says is good. He answered them, Isaiah prophesies correctly about you, hypocrites, as it is written, This is so powerful. This people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, and he gives an example here, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Now, this is important to stop. What does that mean? Well, the tradition was, right, you are supposed to, in Jewish tradition, you will take care of your family, your parents. It's a duty, right? You give them money. You take care of them. That God sets up a system for that. So what they did was, these religious folks, they, made it, they got a way around that, much like how we get a way around offering. And what they said was, <clears throat> I'll, I'll connect it for you. They said, sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't give you what's yours. It's Corbin. It's now being offered to God. You ready? I I can't give to the church. I decide to give to Voice of the Martyrs instead. It's the same. I give to this ministry. My offering goes to the food bank. So I don't have to. Mm, Sound like anyone in here? Y'all ever done that? Bet you have. Right? 
<clears throat> I get it. I used to be suspicious of that too. But what he's saying is, so what he was pointing to was like, you say you follow the law, but Moses said this, and you found a way around it by being a weasel and just saying it's offered to God. But that's not the real reason you're doing it. You're doing it so you don't have to take care of your parents, so you don't have to sacrifice, so you don't have to give up money. Let's keep, keep going. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Oof. And you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd, he looked around at the crowd, right? Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. That's the complete opposite of the world at that time. They're saying, I'm going to be unclean if I touch a leper. I'm going to be unclean if I, I'm going to be sinful if I drink from a dirty cup. I'm going to be, they had taken things and they had added to it. They'd taken away Listen to this, you honor, listen to that word, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Listen, what is he saying? You look like salt, but you don't taste like it. That's such a scary moment in the Bible because we can always think Jesus is just talking to them, but it's spoken to us as well. See, you can practice a form of Christianity in this country, in this community, this community, this county, this town. You can practice a form of it that looks like Jesus, but it's far away from it, it's just lip service. Now let me ask you this, what if that version of Christianity is applauded? What if the world was okay with that version of Christianity? What if that's why it's so popular in Indiana compared to other parts of the world? We think we're better? Are we following Jesus or following this, this weakened, unsalty version? What if following the version of Christianity was planned? What if the world was okay with it? No one would have said during this time that the religious leaders that Jesus were talking to were bad people. They wouldn't have said they were bad Christians. They wouldn't have said they're not religious. They wouldn't have said they didn't love God. Because they were judging it by man-made rules. They were judging it because they were holograms. They looked the part. They even sound like it. Sound familiar? I was talking to Tim. He's probably not being here right now, but I was talking to him this week. There's a pastor. I'm not going to say his name. I have an utmost respect for him. He's very famous. If you want to know after, you can talk to me about it. I, I'll tell you then. Very famous. He's a man of God. I believe that. And I'm really struggling with this one because he's almost untouchable. This guy's untouchable, <clears throat> even to me. And I was reading about how he has went out, and he's pretty bold. I've always admired that about him. I always say I like him. I don't think he'd like me. <clears throat> but he publicly calls out a lot of pastors, calls them false and stuff. And sometimes, I mean, it's true. But he called out this guy and said that he was a false teacher. <clears throat> now, here's the, where this gets becomes a problem. The other guy he called out is someone that I admire a lot too. And whom, 10 years ago, he did not say was a false teacher. In fact, I found an article in which he said, his gospel message, his theology is right, but he didn't like the way he delivered it. He called it grungy Christianity in this article. Go 10 years. This guy had a, a falling. It wasn't sexual. It wasn't even sexual. This other pastor he called out, right? Ended up leaving his church. He ended up starting another church. Both guys would be considered mega church people. Started another church, has never preached anything, in my opinion, that was not the gospel, is also bold, is also in your face, and here is this guy that I respect, this older man from the pulpit, from the screen, calling him a deceitful teacher. What do I do with that? 
I feel nervous to say he's wrong, but I believe he is. Because he's equating this other pastor's sin, which in our eye, here in Indiana, we wouldn't even think is that bad. And he's saying that makes him deceitful. It makes him a false teacher, and I'm wrestling with that. Does it mean that the first guy who's calling him out is not a follower of Jesus? No, I don't think it does. But could it? Could he preach the truth and not be? Could he, somewhere along the way of 60 years of ministry, have done a lot of good, but in this moment has, has put man-made laws above Jesus? Even if it's momentarily? Maybe. So in one camp of Christianity, what this guy's doing is completely acceptable. He's calling him out. He's a false teacher because he did this. And in another camp, it's culturally acceptable to force people to cut to never cut their hair. First Christian girl ever dated was like this. I didn't know this at the time. I just thought she wore stylish dresses. All right, she couldn't cut her hair. She had to wear uh, skirts all the time. And they said that I was worldly because I showed up one time with a Nike shirt on. Remember, I just became a Christian like a year and a half ago. I don't know what that means. I thought it was Jesus. That's culturally acceptable in their camp. They would probably call the first pastor a false teacher because he's not telling all the women they have to do that. My point in all saying all that is sometimes we think like you can't assume just because it's acceptable, it's popular Christianity. Do you think if it's popular Christianity that the world's okay with? Man, that seems weird, doesn't it? Why would they be okay with it when he's saying, hey, you're a sinner? Another big pastor recently, and I don't know enough to say, I just learned this last night. I wasn't even looking for it. That's how I know this stuff's important. Has come out and said he won't call homosexuality a sin. And if you're in this room and struggle with that, stay with me. I'm not saying that you can't be saved, but it's a sin. Just because I say murdering someone isn't a sin doesn't make it not a sin. And we all have to do things, right? If I can't run around and sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, why do you get to? We all have to follow God. Okay? Even when it's not popular. He's popular and now he's beginning to weaken his message. Why? You know what he said? Because he said this. He said, listen, if some pastor out there comes out and openly says homosexuality, he actually went the other way. Homosexuality is okay. You know, that, that then half his congregation would leave. So that he's saying a lot of pastors believe that, but they won't say it because half their congregation. I don't believe that. I do believe some don't say it just because of that, but like, you see what I mean? He's famous, he's popular, he's written books, you know his name if I said it. How did it happen? Does that mean he's not saved? No. I'm not even willing to call him a false teacher, but he's wrong. What about forgiving people? You know, the Hillsong pastor a few years ago fell, and it's, man, some of the stuff he did, it's bad, but it's like, listen... If I put your worst moments up here, guys, nobody wants you in this building either. And people are reveling in his destruction. And I'm sitting here going, dude, I don't know he's not saved. And I'm not going to say he's not because if he is, God's going to go, that's my son. I'm teaching him something, but who are you to condemn him? We should never be happy to see someone destroyed, ever. We should want their salvation. We should want their rep repentance. We should want them to know God. We should want good for them. Because we deserve the same. I'm not saying, guys, that we have a freedom to sin. 
But what I am referring to as I'm kind of putting all this together about culturally, even with this example, is Jesus talks. It's more of our, what is our reason to not sin? Are we not sinning so we look the part, so you look good and religious and awesome and cool, and then you go home and you have a bitter, hateful heart? Or do you not sin because you want to follow Jesus, because you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like other Christians, or do you want to be like Jesus? Yes, they should be the same, but they're not always. Forgiveness is a great example. I had a moment in my life when I thought I understood grace. I was a forgiving person. That's this church, right? Chosen by grace. I always used to say that, man. I thought I knew. I thought I knew what grace was until I needed it. Really, really needed it. When I was forced to say, man, they're telling me I don't know you, Lord. They're telling me that I'm this. They're telling me that. Your word tells me this. Which one's real? So I'm going to give you this. It's not going to be on the screen. Sorry. But if you like notes, I got three things for you. We'll call it the hologram test. You like that? You like that? I know you want me to get out of here. You said, you want me to preach long or short? Come on now. Let's move on. All right. What am I saying? I don't know. Hologram test. Number one, you want to find out, are you a hologram or are you a follower? Are you of real substance or not? Hologram test. One, what's your driving motivation? Do you want to be popular or do you want to be holy? Do you want to look like a good Christian or do you want to be a Jesus follower? Because you can be one without being the other. But interestingly, sometimes you can't be a follower of Jesus and look like a good Christian because we should condemn those kinds of people. They shouldn't be allowed here. There's so many things I want to preach, but I guess I'm scared too because when I do it, a lot of you are going to get mad someday when Paul talks about people they accepted in the church. Go, ooh, i got a fan over here. Go read 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> so next week, we'll turn the heat way up, and I'll just have a fan on me. You guys will be good. Do you want to be like Jesus or you want to be like Christians? I'm serious. Ask yourself genuinely in your heart. No one's going to know but you and God. Who are you trying to be like more? Number two, are you salty? In this case, that's good. Do you look different? Do you stand out? Are you a weirdo? It's true, right? It's true. I hang out with my friends. It's crazy, man. I hang out with some of my friends, even my family, and I feel this is another Todd admitting pride thing. I feel like my, I probably shouldn't say this. I guess this is my story. I can. My family, sometimes I feel like I'm weak. They think I'm weak. They think I'm a chump. They think I'm a weirdo. And it's so, it's so frustrating, right? Because I want to prove to them I'm still LT, all right? That's what they call me. Because I don't like standing out sometimes. I do feel like the black sheep sometimes in my family. I love my family, but sometimes I feel like they don't really like me because I'm different. Are you salty? Do you really to be honest? At your job, if I come and I put a camera on you, hidden camera, for 24 hours for a week, do you look any different than your coworkers? Some of you all need to be convicted by that and hear that again. Do you look any different? And you wonder why they don't listen to you talk about Jesus. Come follow my powerless God. They got that all over the place. Number three. <clears throat> Is your focus on appearances, meaning the outward? Do you kill the sins that people see, or do you focus on the stuff inside that defile us too? Unforgiveness, bitterness, hate, pride, arrogance. Are those as serious to you? Is your focus on appearances, is it on what people see or what God sees? 
Number three, this one's have hope here. Will you trust his promises? It's a beautiful thing when he's promised you. He will be there. He still sets captives free. He hasn't forgotten you. It's not all sadness and misery. He, that story I told earlier, I watched a man walk in here and apologize to me. I cried later. Again, Tim was there that day, right? It was a crazy time. These people that hated me, I didn't do anything to them. But somehow God made my enemies, right, come to my table. And I can say that because it's not my pride, it's him. I didn't do anything to make that happen. And I believe the reason I cried is because that was a message I fully believe from him saying, hey, I'm still with you. There's nothing that's going to happen to you here that you won't, that he doesn't see, that you won't be rewarded for. Because even though we may not get rich here, we may not get rewards here, there are different rewards in heaven. Some of us will get crowns, and some of us will, I mean, there's a, it's, a, it's incredible how the gospel is that I will not punish you anymore. I will not hold your sins against you, but I will give you credit for the good you do. <laughs> That's a heck of a deal. So you're going to come play some music, and I want to ask you this. I know we've went long today. I know. I, don't, I try not to do that often, but I, I, I hope you see where all this is going. Okay, did you see it? Did I connect it, or did I leave you hanging? All right, there's a story here. And it encouraged me and convicted me. It encouraged me because, man, we win. It doesn't matter what the world says. We win. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to be different. I know there's a bunch of people, and some of you I need to say before, this isn't in my notes. Some of you have been, you you are blaming Jesus for the things Christians do. For the hate they've given you. That must be him. That's not him. You're judging Jesus by people who claim to know him without ever going to him to find out the truth. I always tell this, if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, and you say, I know what it's about and I'm not, I don't believe, how do you know if you've never read it? Pick it up. What's it hurt you? Say, God, if you're real, show yourself. Pick this Bible up and read the Gospel of Mark. Right there, I told you where to start. Read it. Just read it with an open mind, and here's what I'm going to promise you. He will show up. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, do it. What do you have to lose? You have everything to gain. Well, they told me I can never come to know him because I struggle with with this sin. I struggle with same-sex attraction. I struggle with addiction. I struggle with, you know, lust. I struggle with hatred. I struggle with bitterness. I struggle with on and on and on. You know, I can't be that. They told me I can't be part of the club. Well, they only told you part of the story. They didn't tell you how bad they are. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our hope is in him. The only difference between me right now and you, I promise you, is Jesus. I'm sorry that they've hurt you. I'm serious. So the rest of us, do you pass the test? Do you pass the hologram test, honestly? Don't worry if you aren't. That doesn't mean you're not saved. Most of the apostles failed too at the end of the day, didn't they, until they came back. Even Peter, I'll never leave you. He says, yes, you will. And he did. Do you pass the test? Are you salty? Do you taste different? Do you look different? Be honest. It's not for me. Because honestly, even though I don't think so, some of you guys could fool me. But you can't fool him. Do you pass the test or do you mix it? Do you mix the salt with sugar? Do you make it weaker? You want it to be palatable to your friends. You want to be successful and wealthy and cool, but still get into heaven. 
You want your, you want your cake and eat it too? Right? Do you want to follow even, will you follow Jesus and even if everyone else is going a different way? Is the Bible your guide or is the crowd your guide? You can be a pretty good person to me on this earth, but you cannot be good enough to get your way into heaven. So I'm going to tell you the gospel real quick and even make it quicker than normal. Listen, here's the facts. God made everything perfect, made it beautiful, and there's really one rule. And even today, there's one rule. I'm going to tell you the one rule that you fail every day. He's God and you're not. Every time you've chosen your way over his way, you've rebelled against the king. And because of that, like a branch broken off a tree, you're separated. What happens to a branch broken off a tree? It dies. You're dying. That's why there's death, but you have an option here. You're dying and you know it. And it's not just physically. Your hope, your depression, your loneliness, your brokenness, your addictions, all of these things that, that feels like it's spiraling out of control. I asked you, so many of you raised your hands when I said you feel hopeless. So many of you raised your hands when you say you feel trapped. Even when you're saved, this world is so hard because it's so dark. And we're in darkness, and that's not even the worst part. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means those people that say they're better than you, they're not. And it says this really terrifying thing, that we are storing up wrath for ourselves, punishment, like a cup that's overflowing. It's just a matter of time before it spills on us. It hit me this week, man, my vile, how vile I am. I am vile in my heart. If it weren't for Jesus, I mean, it's terrifying to think of. I'm telling you that right now, and I'm preaching you that if it weren't for Jesus, I'm going to hell. My actions are terrible. I have not done enough good to outweigh my bad. That's it. That's the hopeless. We could leave it there. That's the truth. But here's the good news, why it's called the good news. God made a way, right? He sent his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that's going to set us free and heal us. Jesus existed. Jesus of Nazareth existed. Okay? Remember that atheist New Testament guy? He believes that Jesus existed. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't just some nice guy. He wasn't some guy that told you how to be. He taught us what the kingdom of God is like. He taught us the things we forgot. He told us that the way the world is, even if it, it he told us what makes sense, right? He told us how it is, how to love, how to be, and then he did something incredible. He told us there is the kingdom of God, but he did something else. He told us how to get there. And to get there, we have to have that punishment paid. All that stuff you've done, that wrath, it has to go somewhere. The cup's already full. So Jesus took it on the cross. Jesus took your sin and mine on the cross. He took it. It's a fact. Then he died. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death. Over 500 witnesses saw the risen Christ. An atheist New Testament professor will tell you right now that there's historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So if that's true, if he resurrected, if he lives again, then it's all true. And if that's the case, Mufasa, right? So what do you do? How do you get that? Well, Jesus did something incredible. He, uh, on the cross, he offers you a choice today. You can continue to live the way you're living in hopelessness and brokenness, despair, knowing that someday when you die, no matter how good you are, there's only one place left for you. He will give you what you want. You don't want God, he'll give it to you. And hell, that's what it is. You will go to hell. It's not popular, it's true. You will be eternally separated from God, and it will be the worst thing you can ever imagine. 
And the sad truth is in that moment, you'll know that he was real and he existed. And you know that you had a choice. But if you reverse the decision you made, if you come to him today, he's alive. And you say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I'm sorry. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not good enough on my own. I don't understand all this, but I want what you have to offer. Heal me. Save me. He'll do it. He'll take your sin on the cross. He'll take the punishment, and he'll give you the benefits of his perfect, spotless, holy life so that when God looks at you, he will see perfection. The Bible says, I will take your sin and remember it no more. That's it. So how do you do that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You have to believe him. Does that mean that you understand it all? Does that mean you have no doubts? No. The reason you have to say it is an action. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. I did the same thing. Didn't know Jesus. Went to an event that I got invited to, maybe like some of you. They asked me if I wanted to be healed, if I wanted Jesus. I said, yeah. And then when it came time to go, I didn't go for a minute until someone told me what I'm going to tell you. You don't have to be afraid. It's nobody's life but yours. Are you willing to look silly for five minutes for eternity? Are you willing to turn away and follow Jesus? Turn away from the ways of this world. You have that opportunity today. If you're in the room and you aren't salty, take this time to get salty. Whatever you don't leave the same as you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.